It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's Friday, May 6th. This is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report. In the wake of the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion, state politicians move swiftly to secure reproductive health care legislation for those traveling to the state. Then, a look at a new project which gives a glimpse into the lives of formerly incarcerated Californians. We'll hear from California News Service about a troubling error on the 2020 census before a look at local news and weather. And Felton Pruitt speaks to folk, jazz, and blues musician Jim Queskin to round out our newscast. Queskin performs at the Oddfellows Hall in downtown Nevada City next Saturday, May 14th. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. A bill to protect abortion services for women traveling to California from states where abortion is banned is now on a fast track in Sacramento. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer has more. Assembly Bill 1666 was introduced after Texas enacted a law to punish women who receive an abortion or anyone who assists her. It was already scheduled for a vote in the state assembly, but after this week's leak of a draft Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, its backers added an urgency clause, meaning it would take effect immediately if it passes with two-thirds support and the governor signs it. The bill declares the Texas law and ones like it to be unenforceable in California. East Bay Assemblywoman Rebecca Bauer-Cahan says her bill attracted two dozen new co-authors this week. The assembly will likely vote on it next week. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. LGBTQ advocates are concerned that the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion is a sign that justices could also roll back protections for other rights, like same-sex marriage. Rebecca Rolf, executive director at the San Francisco LGBT Community Center, says the draft decision feels like an attack. The thing that is really scary about this is that we have come to see the courts as a particular and important protection for rights of people who are marginalized, including the the LGBTQ communities. Um, And this is certainly a signal that 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 period of protection is under threat and at an end. Rolf says it's a moment to invest in coalitions and actions to protect equal rights. California has a long history of mass incarceration and overcrowding in our state's prisons. In the mid-2000s, prisons here were at nearly 200 percent of their capacity. But over the last decade, the state has been working to fix that problem. In 2020 alone, more than 27,000 people were released from prisons in California. A new project from KQED's Pendarvis Harshaw and photographer Brandon Tauzik, backed by the Pulitzer Center, takes us inside the lives of eight men and women, all formerly incarcerated Californians who are now back out in the world, trying to rebuild their lives. Penn Harshaw joins me now to talk about their experiences and the project he worked on. Penn, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Tell me more about some of the common barriers that the folks you interviewed face as they're trying to reestablish their lives after getting out of prison. One of the more fascinating aspects of this whole project was looking at the same issues that all Californians face and how it is just amplified when you're dealing with having a record or not being in society for the past two to three, four decades. Things like housing, things like health care employment, specifically employment for uh, people who don't have higher education. All of these issues are things that Californians, a lot of Americans face, 
But again, if you have a record, if you've been removed from the larger society, then you have another barrier on top of that. We're actually going to listen to a clip now of a few of the people you interviewed talking about some of the other day-to-day aspects of getting used to being on the outside again. When I first got out, I went to a restaurant filled with people. I feel like awkward. I feel like, you know, this is uncomfortable to me because like this is unlike prison. Prisons like, you know, people respect your space. But coming out here, I feel like, man, this is like <laughs> very difficult. When I was in transition, I was civilized. It was, it was all lifers there. So, and a lot of them been there for a while, and they kind of helped me out because a lot of stuff I didn't know. They've been out for a while, like for like using the phone, using the restroom. Because when I went to the restroom, then I went to the sink, and I'm like looking for the knobs. There's none. And the guy says, "Put your hand up in there." So I put my hand up, and it just came up by itself. I'm like, "Wow, this is this is crazy right here." The taste of a pumpkin spice latte. Actually going to Starbucks and seeing the busyness of Starbucks now. And I remember I just closed my eyes for a second and I'm like, wow, just brought my taste buds to life. Share with us a little bit about those voices we just heard. Yeah, so in order, you heard uh, Gary Vaughn, uh, then you heard Melvin Smith, and then you heard Lynn Acosta. Uh, all three of them are of different backgrounds, different uh, racial backgrounds. They're located in different areas all throughout the state. But they've all had similar experiences in encountering the things that we just accept as mundane. And it's very humbling, if not humiliating, to be an adult, middle-aged adult, saying, hey, hold my hand as I walk through society. And they shared that largely across the board, people were asking for just patience. And that is hard in our society where we're not a very patient people. It's a very fast-paced society. Penn, it sounds like one of the core questions behind this project was, what kind of support does the state offer to people getting out of prison after being there for a long time so that they can navigate the reentry process? What did you and Brandon learn about the support that people get and what they don't get? What everyone shared with me in this project and even people that we interviewed who weren't participants in this project were that they depended on family and friends and other formerly incarcerated people, specifically lifers, Former lifers really depend on other lifers because they're the only ones who've been in their shoes. And so you see this uh, each one reach one kind of system where if I know you from being incarcerated and we both get out, say you got out four years ahead of me, the minute I get out, you reach out for me and you say, hey, here's how I navigate a society. And so um, what we see, what's needed is that there needs to be more support for the friends, family and other former lifers who are supporting people when they get out. Pendarvis Harshaw is the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast and co-creator of the new multimedia project Facing Life, along with photographer Brandon Tausick. You can find the project online at facing.life. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that's the California Report for Friday, May 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, and Jim Bennett, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening. Groups that work on immigrants' rights are pressing for change after the most recent U.S. Census Bureau analysis. It says the 2020 census undercounted Latinos by 4.9%, more than triple the undercount 10 years prior. Suzanne Potter with the California News Service has more. Latino civil rights groups are pressing for changes to make up for a significant undercount in the 2020 census. The most recent findings show the 2020 census undercounted the Latino population nationwide by almost 5%. That's more than three times the undercount from 2020. Thomas A. Sines with the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund says the undercount could mean less money for dozens of programs that benefit children and young adults in California, including Medi-Cal and CalFresh. The federal funding implicates things like education, child care services, transportation, parks, health care. There isn't really a federal program or even state and local decision making that is not going to be affected by an undercount in the census. Less funding for these programs also affects hunger in the state. A report out this month from Nourish California and the California Immigrant Policy Center says 45 percent of the state's undocumented residents are dealing with food insecurity. Signs also wants to see rules put in place to prevent political interference with the census. That's because the Trump administration tried to add a question about citizenship to the census, a question Signs says was designed specifically to trigger lower response rates from the Latino community. And even though many of those efforts were stopped in court, the public attention to them clearly had an impact. And that means that the Latino community will suffer as a result of that undercount over the course of the next decade. The pandemic also made it much harder to obtain an accurate count because many people had to move after losing their jobs. A UCLA study found that in Los Angeles, a census undercount disproportionately affects certain demographics, people who are renters, who are Hispanic or Asian, and who are low-income or foreign-born. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Now let's take a look at regional news. Nevada County Public Health reports 26 new confirmed COVID-19 cases since last reported. 70 are active, two people are hospitalized, none are in the ICU. A reminder, the Nevada County Public Health Department now updates its COVID-19 dashboard only on Tuesdays and Fridays. Nevada Irrigation District's Mulch Magic Giveaway takes place Saturday, May 14th at the Nevada County Fairgrounds. Drive through Gate 8 off Brighton Street anytime between 7 and 11 a.m. for mounds of free shredded cedar. Those picking up mulch will need to bring their own shovels, containers, and tarps, as this is a self-load event. A reminder from NID, mulch helps retain water, keeping the soil moist for longer periods of time. Friday, May 13th, District archaeologist Amber Nelson presents an overview of archaeology on the Tahoe National Forest at 7 p.m. at Nevada City's Madeline Helling Library. The free, family-oriented program will cover historic sites and ancient Native American rock art, as well as new techniques for finding and preserving archaeological resources. 
Caltrans is alerting I-80 motorists of full overnight closures of the east and westbound lanes in the Sierra over the next two weeks for bridge demolition. I-80 will be closed to east and westbound traffic nightly between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. Monday, May 9th through Thursday, May 12th at Baxter for full overcrossing demolition. During the scheduled demolition work, all passenger and commercial vehicles will be detoured. Motorists should expect slight travel delays in the area. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 45. A 30% chance of rain mainly before 9 p.m. Saturday mostly cloudy, gradually becoming sunny as the day wears on with a high near 62. Sunday, showers likely and possibly thunderstorms after 11 a.m., then partly sunny with a high near 51. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, a slight chance of showers before 11 p.m., partly cloudy with a low around 34, breezy with gusts as high as 40 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny with a high near 52. Sunday, snow showers mainly after 11 a.m., and potentially some thunder, breezy with a high near 39. One to three inches of snow is possible. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement and wind advisory for the Truckee Tahoe region this weekend. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear with the low around 52, gusts up to 21 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny with a high near 76. Sunday, a 40% chance of rain after 11 a.m. with a high near 67. Breezy, winds could gust as high as 24 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Stay tuned, Felton Pruitt walks down memory lane with folk, jazz, and blues legend Jim Queskin. Queskin will be coming to Nevada City for the first time next Saturday, May 14th performing with Meredith Axelrod downtown at the Oddfellows Hall. We're talking with Jim Queskin, who in my world is pretty much a music legend. Uh, we're going to explain to you folks that don't know about Jim and just why you should think he's a music legend, too. Thanks for talking with us, Jim. Hi. Well, you know, a legend to me, a legend, all a legend means is that you're old. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I hope I'm not becoming one. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> Well, uh, we're looking forward to it. You're going to be coming to our town and playing at the Odd Fellows Hall in Nevada City on Saturday, May 14th, along with Meredith Axelrod, who is somebody that you've been doing some music with. Uh, let's start there. Uh, tell us about Meredith. Well, she's a young woman. She's an incredibly talented musician. And together we make a good team. We actually have an album out called Come On In, which is available, I think, on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. Uh, CD baby and whatever. Anyway, um, on Saturday, May 14th, she and I are going to be doing a duo together. We do a lot of good old tunes and uh, we have a lot of fun. Pretty much covering whatever you like from your career and other people's career and all the new stuff too? Yeah, well, I'm picking up new songs all the time, even at my age. But uh, yeah, what our gigs usually turn into is pretty much a party because even though you can call it, you know, folk music, or uh, acoustic music, or roots music, or Americana music. It's got a lot of different names. Our swings. So ours has a you know a nice sound to it, and so people enjoy it, clap along and sing along, and sometimes they even get up and dance. There's no nodding off then. 
That's right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> It's on Saturday, May 14th at the at the Oddfellows Hall. Yeah, it's an 8 p.m. show, Paul Emery Music putting it on, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful place to go. It's a very spiritual place, the Oddfellows Hall in Nevada City, too. So, Do people know that it's at 212 Spring Street? I'm pretty sure they do, yeah. And it's just okay, it's good. just down the street from KVMR, too, so it's like a three-minute oh. walk from KVMR. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Let's let people know just a little bit about who Jim, Jim Queskin is, and if they're not familiar. Now, I'm sure there's many folks that have your records and they've been seeing you for years. But for those that don't know, let's just dig back there. You started out, I guess, would you say the early 60s? Early 60s, yeah. I was jamming on a club in Boston, Massachusetts with a bunch of friends. We were on stage at a folk music club and jamming. And the owner of a prestigious record company called Vanguard Records, who had a lot of, you know, very great artists on it, like Joan Baez and many others, Pete Seeger and others. Anyway, we were um, we were just jamming. He came up after the show and said, uh, geez, that was really good. I'd like to make a record with that band. Would you do that? I said, well, I'd love to make a record, but that's not a band. <laughs> <laughs> Give me three or four months, and I'll put a band together, and I'd be happy to make a record. So I had the uh, unusual and fortuitous luck to uh, have a record deal to record a band that I didn't even have. Yeah, that's kind of backwards, <laughs> isn't it? It is. But it worked out. I put together what was called the Jim Queskin Jug Band, and we were around for five years, did very successfully. Uh, you know, did a lot of gigs, uh, Newport Folk Festival, a lot of TV and shows, and you know, we had a wonderful time. That's when I was young. You know, I was in my 20s, and um, like that. Well, that was the beginning of my career. And I know that uh, there was someone that we're familiar with around here that was in your band back then, Maria Muldaur. Oh, yeah. She was in the the Jug Band for most of its, you know, she wasn't in the very first when we first started, but she joined shortly after, and she was in the band for about four years, yeah. I've just been communicating with her today, because I also have a gig coming up in Berkeley, California, and she's going to, she lives near there, so she's going to stop by and sit in. Oh, what's the date and place for that? That's at the Freight and Salvage on the 29th. Freight and Salvage, of course, remodeled now, a big, cool place in Berkeley, so... Yeah. So back then, I know that Vanguard Records now is owned by the uh, Welk family. Was it, who owned Vanguard back no, then? No, no, it's owned by Concord now. Oh, Con- yeah. Every, Welk, well, things change. Sold it to Concord. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you still stay in touch with them, or have you moved on? I get royalties still to this day. Very cool. Very cool. So my my old albums still sell. Then people download them and you know upload them or whatever you do, they do it. <laughs> You've had a musical relationship with Jeff Muldaur for a long, long time now. Who who came first into your life, Jeff or Maria? Jeff. When Jeff and I was Jeff and I were doing, we're in the Jug Band together. He was in the original, very first band I put together, the very beginning. He was see because I'm not a blues singer. I sing kind of like up tempo and ragtimey and swing tunes, and he's a real blues singer. So I needed it for the kind of music we wanted to do. I needed somebody who sang that kind of music. So I asked Jeff to be in the band. And so he and I and a few other musicians made the first jug band and we were playing it, doing a gig in New York. And Maria was in a jug band down in New York City called the um, Even Dozen Jug Band. And uh, and a number of those musicians went on to stellar careers like David Grisman and Stefan Grossman. And I mean, uh, a whole lot of you know really great musicians. Anyway, Maria was she was then Maria D'Amato. That was her maiden name. And then she fell in love with Jeff and they she moved up to Boston and joined my band and became. They got married, and she became Maria Muldor. And you kept working with Jeff on and off, I guess, for a long time. I mean, you guys put out a record, what, about six years ago? 
a little bit more. Yeah. About eight. Yeah. What's it like called? That. Penny's yeah, Farm? Called Penny's Farm. Yeah, we did. And uh, I took, I, I'm I really uh, proud of that record. It's a really good one. I was reading where at, at one point you kind of just left music on the side burner for a while and you just went into building houses and that became a big thing for you. Yeah, well, construction, you know what happened is when I, at the end of the jug band uh, in the late 60s, you know, we were, we were together for only for five years. When I finally ended the jug band, I, I decided that the, very, the first four years of the jug band were heaven. I absolutely loved it. The last year, it got to be kind of tedious. And I said to myself, I'm never going to go again, going to play music because I have to, because that's the way I'm going to make my money. And, and, uh, that's the way I'm going to support my family was with music. Cause then, it, then you have to do stuff all the time. Stuff, a lot of times things you don't want to do when, you know, and I, I wanted to keep music fun in my life. So I, and a bunch of my friends, we, we formed a con- construction company and, and we did that like for 40 years and I've still played music. But only when I wanted to. I did a bunch of gigs. I even went on tour a number of times uh, all over the country, all over the world. I went to Japan. I went to all kinds of places to play Germany, playing music. But um, only when I wanted to, not because I had to. I was going to ask you about Ladybug's Picnic. You want to tell people what that was? <laughs> yeah, well, the Children's Television Workshop, which was the organization that produced and ran uh, Sesame Street, had a bunch of jingles that they wanted to record to of number songs, uh, you know, for kids, little kids. And they asked me to do the number 12, which was called the ladybugs picnic. And I recorded it and, um, it got played on Sesame street probably a thousand times. And a lot of people have come up to me and say, I know your voice. I listened to you when I was four years old <laughs> singing ladybugs picnic. <laughs> A couple years ago, I got an album with a lady named Samoa Wilson that you put out, and I thought that was just fantastic. Well, I thank you for that. Yeah, she's an incredible singer. I, I absolutely love playing music with Samoa. She's she's uh, just wonderful, and and she's a she's another one. She's, she's kind of like me. She doesn't. She could be a professional, full time professional musician, but she doesn't want to. She just wants to do it again, like when when she feels like it. So uh, she's doing other things as well. You know, there's a lot of women out there, or a lot of people out there playing music from that was popular, you know, many years ago, like in the 20s and 30s and 40s, and a lot of uh, singers singing that old songs. And um, some of them are pretty good, but as far as I'm concerned, she's the best. We're talking with Jim Queskin. He's going to be at the Oddfellows Hall in Nevada City on Saturday, May 14th, 8 p.m. for Paul Emery. And it's just going to be a wonderful night of old time, new time, whatever time. Uh, you should show up and have a good time music. Yeah, it'll be a party. I can tell you that. It always is. <laughs> have you been to Nevada City before? No, I have never. I'm really looking forward to it. I've heard nothing but good things about Nevada City. I'm dying to come there and see what your town is like All right. and what your folks are like. Saturday, May 14th, 8 p.m., Oddfellows Hall. Jim Queskin, it's been a pleasure sharing a few moments with you. Oh, thanks a lot. I'm happy to talk to you. That's our newscast for this Friday, May 6th. KVMR gets support from Mountain Recreation, locally owned since 2000, offering seasonal outdoor adventure gear and apparel, also rentals, retailing Goal Zero portable power solutions, including solar power generators, 
East Main Street, Grass Valley, mtnrec.com, and Chan Family Optometry. Dr. Chan and team provide comprehensive medical eye care, specializing in glasses, contacts, dry eye, and low vision. Serving Nevada County since 1978. Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley. ChanFamilyOptometry.com The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Monday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.